Bless you. Let's pray. Father, just come, Holy Spirit. Let your name be glorified. Let your name be lifted up. And will you speak to us as only you can? And will you come and be the Lord of every life and of every situation? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, For those who were there this morning at the preaching session, I don't know if, you're all, if they're all here, but uh, there was something I forgot to say that uh, I feel I ought to say. One of the things that I was talking about was that if you get up to preach, you have to have something to give. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. Peter said, uh, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give to you. And I was saying, if you, if you get up to preach, you have to have something to give. What I omitted to say and which last night I was thinking about and thought I must say is, one of the things you have to be prepared to do is to let others go on further than you. And there was a day... When I was walking up the stairs... This is the third time today. (laughs) And God spoke to me and said, would I let him take Rob further than I had ever been? And I said, yes. And as you're seeing the evidence of that transition, and I know that God took me further than my dad. Rob's gone further than his dad, so heaven help the rest of them. (laughs) But what I want to talk to you about this evening, or this afternoon, is something that I felt God has given me, and that is talking about preparing to break through into the next level that God has got for you. And I've been encouraged by some of the words that have been given already today. That there's, there's a culture in the church of expectation that God will come and move. There's a culture in the church that says, we don't want to stay as we are. We want to grow and go into whatever God's got for us. And I want to fan that flame if I can today. And in July... I think it was God spoke to me, I think, and said, I want you to read about Caleb because I want to show you some things about Caleb. And so I began to study the life story of Caleb, and that's what I want, some of the things I want to share with you today. And then when I was asked to come here and speak, I felt that God showed me two things, one of which I'll come to later, but this one was, I want you to speak to them about breaking through into the next level. And then on Wednesday, 
somebody else I was talking to at our Love After Marriage course, and I said to him what I was going to speak on, and he said, you know that God is the Lord of the breakthrough? That's one of his names. And I said, no, I didn't know that. But I want to tag that onto the end of what I'm going to speak to you about this evening. So can we... um, I'm going to read quite a few verses, and we're going to start in Numbers chapter 13. I want to fill in a bit of the background about Caleb. How many of you know about Caleb? I've heard about Caleb, quite familiar with him. Okay, well if you're not, we'll fill it in a bit if we can. The situation is that the people of Israel have come out of Egypt. They've been to Mount Sinai. They've heard God speak to them literally. He's led them by fire at night and by a cloud in the day. They've walked across and they've come to this point where God is saying, I want to send you into the land that I've got for you. And in Numbers chapter 13, it sounds like it's God's idea, but when you look later on in Deuteronomy chapter 1, it sounds like it's the people's idea. So I put those two together and say the people had the idea and God said, go for it. Mm-hmm. All right? And uh, the Lord said to Moses in verse 1 of ex- Numbers chapter 13, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites, and it lists their names, one of whom is Caleb, and the other one is Joshua. Then down to verse 16. These are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. Moses gave Hoshea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob towards Libo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahin, Himan, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Anak was a giant race. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. I have no idea why that is in there. But anyway, when they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. 
they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went up into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. And if you read it in the message version, it shows a sort of, I find, a, a rising mood of panic. You know, it's really great, this land, but there's this, and this, and this, and this. And then it says, Caleb sort of intervened, jumped in, and he silenced the people before Moses, and he said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who'd gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they <clears throat> and they spread among the Israelites a, bar, a bad report about the land they'd explored. They said, the land we explored, explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. And um, I just want to share with you some thoughts about Caleb. Before he was sent out as a spy, he was selected as a leader. Came a point when Moses found that it was too difficult to manage all the people, and the idea was promoted, select out some men who were judges, good, and um, so on. And Caleb was one of them. Of those men that had been selected out from each tribe, God came and he took the ministry and the power of the Spirit that he put on Moses and he distributed it to each of these leaders. And they, in their turn, began to prophesy. And I'm suggesting that Caleb would have been one of those people. He would have been one of those people who had already experienced for himself, not just as an onlooker, not just standing back and looking at the mountain tremble and quake and the fire and everything, but for himself he'd experienced something of the Spirit and power of the Holy Spirit. And so it's reasonable to assume that Caleb would have been a very, very well-reputed man amongst his people in his tribe. And it does, it does us good, really, sometimes to think, what would we look for in a leader? Because that's what they were asked to look for. They were asked to look out, choose some wise, understanding, and respected men from each of your tribes. You know, it's great when God gives us wise, respected, and understanding men. But the first thing we can see about Moses, about Caleb, sorry, 
is that he was a man of faith. They came back with a bad... He'd seen exactly the same things. He'd seen the good and the bad. He'd seen the big and the little. He'd seen the fruit and he'd seen the problems. But actually, he was a man of faith. He said, no, we can do it. We can go up. We can possess the land. God will give us the victory. Not only was he a man of faith, but he was a man who was willing to stick out and be on his own. Because at first, it was only Caleb. And then we read that Joshua was alongside him. And he was willing to stand out, and, and so we read in Deuteronomy that actually the people wanted to stone Moses and Aaron for bringing them to this place, because they were so incensed at the idea that they were going to get wiped out in battle, that the giants that they'd seen were going to come and overpower their children and kill them all off in the desert. And... And this man... I don't know what I was going to say now. He's seen it all, but he... I don't know what I was going to say. Anyway. The other thing, the next thing I want to say is, this man Caleb, though he'd seen the same things as everybody else, and he'd had faith to go for it, what happened? His faith, his vision, had been limited by the negativity and the lack of faith of others. And it had squashed him. He couldn't go forward into what he saw God was giving him. And and I just want to say that maybe that's been your experience. Maybe you've had a, a passion for something, you've had a vision for something, and others around you have said, I don't think we can do that. Maybe they suggested to you that uh, maybe now is not the right time. Maybe later. Maybe another time. Maybe this or that or the other. And somehow you've had to withdraw. You've had to pull back from what you felt God was showing you. And I just want to say, I believe today God's going to say to you, now's the time to pick up that vision again and go for it. He was a man who maintained his faith. His faith had been stopped dead. He couldn't go forward. He couldn't possess what he'd seen. But he maintained his faith and his vision by not losing sight of his possession. Remember, he'd been told that he would possess. Uh, later on, you read it in Deuteronomy. God said, the, the bit of land that you've trodden on, you will possess that land. Caleb saw it. He believed it by faith. He received it and he held on to it for the next 45 years. He maintained his faith by not losing sight of his possession, even when no one else could see it. Prepared to stand alone, eventually after 45 years, he led a whole tribe to victory. Imagine how over that 45 years, having been frustrated, he communicated his still passionate faith to all those who were growing up around him. Nobody 20 years of age and older 
of the men would go forward into that land. So he was dealing with the 20-year-olds. Over 40 years, they'd become 60-year-olds. And for that 40 years, he would say, do you know what? God told me we could do it. We can do it. It's all right. We can get there. He maintained that faith. He maintained that passion. He communicated it so that at the point when it came to the point that they went for it, these men who'd been growing up around him actually said, we'll do it. He could have lived in regret, but instead he lived with increased resolve. As the years went on, I believe that he got firmer and firmer in his conviction. Instead of communicating bitterness because he'd been stopped from doing what he wanted to do, he stirred up belief. He was still going forward, not looking back. Delay for Caleb meant a further challenge on his faith and a deepening of it. After more than 40 years, he still showed that he believed in God's original plan to take the land. And then we read in Joshua chapter 14. Now the sons of... This was now... Um, Moses had died, all the people had died off, they were now beginning to go into the land. There had been division of the land, and so on and so on and so on, and it came to the point where the men of Judah approached Joshua to Gilgal. And Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea about you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people sink. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he's kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old, I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now, give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there, and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. It's a wonderful thing, this man. He's not a youngster. He's 85 years old. I don't understand how he does it, but he says, I'm still as vigorous as I was 45 years ago. He was ready to go. What about the other spies? They died, by the way, straight away in a plague. They 
had been stumbled because they continued to look back to Egypt. And actually, they were intent on going back. They looked around, and they only saw big things. They saw the problems, and they saw themselves as the smallest of all. They compared themselves to the problem and realized that they were no match because they had a wrong view of themselves. They were diminished to the level of grasshoppers. And that's how they believed that everybody around saw them. We know, because we have the history to prove it, that the people were actually in fear and dread of them for those 40 years. If they'd seen themselves as victors, filled with God's power, how would it have changed the situation? That's how Caleb viewed himself. Not alone, but mighty in God. He said, in God, we can do this. How we view ourselves often determines how others view us. I want to suggest to you that because Caleb had totally let go of where he'd been, he was able to take hold of the destiny that he'd seen in God. And he became the possessor of the place that God had given him. Because he saw God's power and ability as paramount, he knew that he could be more than an overcomer. He'd already won the battle before it took place. His attitude was a reflection of his inner conviction that saw big things from another reality. Your standpoint determines your viewpoint. Stand in the place where God is and look at it from his perspective. Your view will be totally different. Caleb never lost sight of the prize, and he never relinquished his right of possession. What God has promised me is as relevant today as it has always been. Caleb maintained his passion even though he was in the minority. He had another spirit, Numbers 14, 24 tells us. It was a positive, believing spirit because he believed the truth about God. John Maxwell, in his book, Developing the Leader Within You, writes about a survey of 300 highly successful people, people like Helen Keller, Gandhi, Winston Churchill, Albert Schweitzer, Albert Einstein. And this survey found that a quarter had handicaps, such as blindness, deafness, crippled limbs while three quarters had either been born in poverty, came from broken homes, or at least came from exceedingly tense or disturbed situations. At one time, Albert Einstein was called a slow learner and retarded, written off as uneducable. Why did these achievers overcome problems while thousands were overwhelmed by theirs? They refused to hold on to the common excuses for failure. 
They turned their stumbling blocks into stepping stones. They realized they could not determine every circumstance in life, but they could determine their choice of attitude to every circumstance. And then he goes on to relate this little story. A church choir was raising money to attend a music competition and decided to have a car wash. To their dismay, after a busy morning, rain began to pour in mid-afternoon, and the customers stopped coming. Finally, one of the women printed the poster, We wash, and with an arrow pointing skywards, he rinses. (laughs) Good thing to do, isn't it? Get somebody else's perspective on it. Finally, I want to talk just... I believe that uh, I believe God wants the people to break through in certain areas where you've been hindered, where you've been kept back, where you've had to let go. But there's another thing I want to bring to you that I think God wants to break through. I I I had a dream, and in my dream, Rob said to me, "Dad, when you come, can you speak on this subject?" Love, God's love, is better than a kiss. It's more personal. And I woke up and I thought, what on earth was that all about? (laughs) But I'll tell you what I was reminded of. I don't know if you've seen Princess Diaries, but the girl in there, she was looking for a foot-popping kiss when she kissed this boy a foot would lift up and she'd be taken away in ecstasy, you know. And I tell you what it's, it's made me think about just since the start of this meeting. Do you know what I believe God wants to give some couples a new breakthrough in their love relationship for each other? He wants to make the kiss a wonderful and beautiful thing between you. And you know, if you're looking for the foot-popping kiss that you've never had, just understand God's love is far more important. It's more important that you love each other because you love Jesus than anything else. So I want to turn with you to 1 Chronicles chapter 14 and finish off here. Remember, they were afraid that they saw the giants in the land. They were afraid because they said the giants... If you read around it, you'll you'll see they said that the giants would actually kill off all their children and so on and so forth, and and they were scared of the giants. We come to David's time, and um, we read in in 1 Chronicles 14 and verse 8, when the Philistines heard, and remember Goliath was a Philistine, okay, so we're in the land of the giants here. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went out to meet them. Now the Philistines had come and raided the valley of Rephaim. Now, if you look it up, the valley of Rephaim is the valley of the giants. All right? This is the place where they'd seen the giants. So David inquired of God, Shall I go up and attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? The Lord answered him, 
Go, I will hand them over to you. So David and his men went up to Baal Perazim, Perazim, and there he defeated them. Now, Baal Perazim means owner or lord of breakings, breakthrough. Lord of breakthrough. All right? And um, there he defeated them. He said, just as waters break out, God has broken out against my enemies by my hand. So that place was called Baal Perazim, place of breakthrough. The Philistines had abandoned their gods there, and David gave orders to burn them in the fire. And they came up again later. The Lord of breakthrough acted like a flood. That's how David described it. There was a a pouring forth of God's power that broke through. The area was the area of the giants. And after the victory, all the idols were burned. And you know, it just speaks to me that if there has been like giants against you, and there's been idolatry, or there's been demonic activity around you that's prevented you from accomplishing what God's got for you, when the Lord comes with breakthrough, bang, it all goes. He'll give the power and the authority. After the victory, all the idolatry was burned. This was a strong place, this place of giants. It was most difficult to overcome. But God is the Lord of breakthrough, even in a place where it is difficult. And where every agreement with Satan that leads to bondage is destroyed. And you can't help but think of John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. I've got half of it written down. This is what he says, John chapter 7. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow out from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. God will bring breakthrough, and when he does it, it will come with a whoosh of the Spirit. And I believe that that whoosh of the Spirit will enter into you and give you a new dimension in the Holy Ghost. So I believe if there are things that have held you back, God wants to break them. If there's relationship issues and you and your beloved need refreshing in your relationship, ask God for it. You know, love 
And love between a husband and wife is a wonderful and precious thing. And it has a certain very, very special dimension when it speaks about the relationship between God and the church. So you demonstrate church every time you're together as husband and wife. Satan will want to come and undermine that at every opportunity. But the love of God is better than anything. And thirdly, I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is waiting to burst out in breakthrough. I don't know if Jill's got anything. Yeah, I believe there are people here who actually over months and even years have received prophetic words and have never seen them come into being. And I just feel somehow that this is a time again of breakthrough to actually see what God has spoken. Because sometimes... You know, if we have a, a, a prophetic word and we don't see it happening, we sort of tend to let it go and think, oh, yeah, we won't accept that when we let it go. But actually, if God has spoken, then he wants to bring it to pass. And I just feel that somehow there are those here who have had those words, who have wondered over it, who have questioned over it, and really have sort of, is this God or is it not? But I believe it's the time of that breakthrough to actually see and hear what God is saying to bring into being the things that he's spoken. And I just sense, you know, as Caleb was up the mountain, he received that word. As we've received the word, so God wants to bring us into that place of his appointment and his blessing and his favor upon us. Two other words have been given to me. Um, Two people knowing that we were coming here this weekend, have said, I believe that God is going to use you to open up some wells again, reopen some wells. And I guess if if you feel that your springing, life-giving well has been dampened down by cares, by whatever, by negativity or anything... Maybe God would would come and break that open for you. Um, and the second one is that uh, I I wrote to a couple and said we're coming here this weekend and the connection with Rob, and this person wrote back and she said, "How oh, significant that you're going as Rob's dad and God's given you this word, you know, to bring breakthrough and to." push people through into the next level. And I just want to do that as, as, as a dad, you know. Um, I just want to say to you, just like I said about Rob, go, go on, get into what God's got for you. Don't hold back. Um, it's great, you know, saying about the, get a bigger skin. <clears throat> Don't settle for less. Don't hold back. Don't look back. Look forward. Go on to what God's got for you. Don't hold on to the things of the past. Be prepared to let go and begin by faith to take hold of some of the things that God's been speaking to you. Like Jill said, maybe words over years that haven't yet come to be. Begin to get them out. Read them over. Rehearse them before God. Say, Lord, you said you'd give us this. 
I want that mountain, and I want it now. You know, not being cheeky, Lord, but you know, now's the time, I believe. And I believe that God's going to do something significant amongst you as a people, and and individually, that he's going to change things for you. I don't know how you want to do this, whether people have got things they want to respond to, or whether you just want to stand and we'll pray for you. Um, I'd just like to pray over you, and then if you've got anything that you want to respond to, if you feel God's specifically spoken to you and you want to come out and have prayer, then that'll be wonderful. But I'd just like you to stand right where you are. <coughs> Father, I just want to stand as a dad amongst my brothers and sisters here and say, Lord, some of us who are past 60, we're not 80-odd yet, but we want to say, Lord, let it go. Let it go. Begin to accomplish the things that you've spoken into our lives. Begin to give us the mountains, Lord, that we've reached after. Begin, Lord, to take hold of our possessions, the things that we've dreamed about. And Lord, I want to just say, let this church go. Lord, we give you permission, we give you authority, we give you our, our, our compliance, Lord. Give each one of us Bigger wineskins. Fill us up more. Let us grow. Let us expand. Let us, Lord, see more than we've seen before. Let us experience more than we've experienced before. Let us be, Lord, like children uh, running around and having fun with Jesus. Lord, in a new way. <clears throat> come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. And touch us as we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.